Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Uh, Joshua is in the Old Testament uh, towards the beginning, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, um, Judges, and Ruth follow. So you have to go back just a little bit to find Joshua chapter 24. In these few verses, and in fact in this chapter of Scripture, you won't hear anything of sloth, this first of the seven deadly sins that we'll pay attention to in this series. And there's a reason that we're starting this way, both with sloth, because if sloth kind of has reign over the day, nothing will change in us or in our hearts, in our relationships with one another or with God. And sloth is the one that has to be understood on what is it that holds us back. But one thing in this series that we're going to be really careful to do is is to not get stuck just focusing on the sins. They need to be named and understood. But you can read in the handout on the series that, that the focus was never meant to be on staying in the sin. The focus of this whole thing was to bring us into the virtues that we are called to live into, to live and love more like Jesus. The sins are what stand in the way and what hold us back, but they're not the end game. Now, if you ask someone on the street, most people would recognize that there are seven deadly sins, even if you can't necessarily name them. But it's less known that there are seven corresponding virtues. And back in the day when the Bible was not readily available or when people couldn't read, this was the Sparknotes version of discipleship to make sure that we were growing in virtue, that we were not stagnant in our faith. And so in Joshua chapter 24, uh, we, we hear this declaration, not of sloth, but one of a call to diligence. Because the first of the seven deadly sins, sloth, the virtue that, that uproots the sin, the virtue is diligence. And everyone from um, Aquinas, a medieval theologian, to Billy Graham have written on the seven deadly sins and used Joshua as an example of diligence in Scripture. And so today we hear just at the end of the book of Joshua this call to diligence that Joshua offers to the people before leading them forward in a journey of faith. So as you hear these words of diligence, pay attention that you don't hear sloth, you hear the opposite. And that's intentional because the virtues will be our focus as these kind of ugly signs are transformed into something beautiful over the next seven weeks. Before we read God's word together, let's pray. Lord, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And may we not only remember with our minds, but believe in our hearts that the word of the Lord does not return empty. And so as your word is observed, as we delve into it, as we wrestle with, with who you are in the scriptures and who you call us to be, may you strengthen us by your Holy Spirit that we can pursue virtue, move within our hearts that it does not return empty, your word coming to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. 
After the reading of the word, I'll say thanks be to God. And if you're grateful, I invite you to respond with thanks. I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and I'll invite you to say thanks be to God. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But... If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In Joshua's call and his declaration to the people before they crossed into the promised land, as they lived in someone else's territory, he called upon them to decide, who will you serve? With an understanding that you will serve someone. Your time and attention and focus and energy and worship will be given to something. And Joshua's call, his challenge and question to the people is, Who's it going to be? Is it going to be the the gods of the Amorites in this place that we live? Are, Are we going to be a part and blend in with what is already here? Is it going to be falling into old habits the way our ancestors worshiped before God came to them? Or are we people who will fully commit with diligence, not being passive, but being diligent, that we will serve the Lord? And as the story unfolds, the people say, yes, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says, you can't actually. You don't have in yourself the ability to serve God. They say, we will. And Joshua says, then your commitment will be held against you. Your commitment matters. But also there is a reminder in Joshua 24 that we can't do this on our own. We do need the Holy Spirit within us to move the place that sin would occupy, to uproot it, to make way for virtue to be what grows with abundance. And we also need one another. We need one another for the accountability. We need one another to learn from. And that if we're going to move from sloth to diligence, from passivity to agency, from inaction to action, we probably need some people along the road with us. And we need people who know us well enough to call out our excuses when sloth is just the easier road. There is a university professor who spent many years training missionaries, particularly to um, be understanding of how to go into a culture that you don't know, um, how to connect with people, how to understand the rituals. And the story goes uh, this way of this professor who had trained missionaries for years when he had a visitor in his office. One day, a middle-aged man came to my office to talk with me. And he explained how he had let the opportunity to serve God in a heroic and magnificent manner slip away from him. He told me, Professor, once I was going to be a missionary, 
and do something important for the kingdom of God, but I didn't do it. I kept putting off taking the necessary steps that would enable me to fulfill the will of God for my life. And now, it's too late. My time has passed. There's no way I can ever do that, that that will please God. I'm married, I have three kids in college, I'm up to my ears in debt, and there's no way that I can just stop everything in order to take up this call to Christian service. I came to urge you to talk to your students and to keep them from making the same mistake I made, keep them from putting off serving Jesus until it's too late. Did you catch that the activity of the person coming is not their own, it's to direct someone else to work harder? The professor responded by saying, I almost lost my temper with him. Look, I said, I don't want to hear about what you might have done for Jesus 20 years ago. I want to talk to you about what you're going to do for Jesus today. I think that you're using the failures of the past to evade the challenge of the present. You're using the failures of the past to avoid the challenges of the present. You're still excusing yourself from the tasks which God has set before you. Only now you're trying to make your present responsibilities seem unimportant compared to what you think you should have done 20 years ago. The man was shaken by what I had said to him, and that allowed me an opportunity to go on. You may think that the little things you can do for the Lord are relatively unimportant, but the Bible says that if we are faithful in a very little thing, we shall have authority over great things. Why not get on with doing the work of God that is waiting to be done right now? It's not the failures of the past that should be the focal point, the thing that we put the most focus and energy on. What that actually does is let our past contribute to our sloth, that we don't want to commit to anything because we say the boat has already sailed, the ship has sailed on the big opportunity, and now there's nothing left. Sloth as a vice, as a deadly sin, whispers into our ear that whatever is happening now isn't enough. It's only the big stuff that counts, not the little stuff. And this is how sloth whispers into our ear until we just buy into that lie. Now, sloth is maybe an easily misunderstood vice or deadly sin. And, and part of it's because we do associate sloth with, with a laziness that mostly gets focused on in work ethic. Now, I don't think in this congregation that, that that would be our main challenge. Sloth and work ethic can be associated with each other, but, but let's not confuse the, the Greco-Roman version of vices and virtues with what Scripture gives us to be these seven deadly sins and these seven heavenly virtues. Sloth does contribute to maybe a poor work ethic. And there's verses in Proverbs that, that are very easy and accessible to make us understand this point. Proverbs 19, 15. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. 
Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. These sound like work hard, have a good work ethic, be diligent instead of slothful. Proverbs 30 verse 25 commends the ant once again. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. It's not just their work ethic that makes the ant commendable. It's their wisdom that they're going beyond just what's happening right now and working towards some kind of future, even one that they can't see, but they know by instinct. These are good verses to understand work ethic, and, and a work ethic is a good thing, but it's not the end game. And our work ethic is not our identity. Our work ethic is not our identity. Vices and virtues in a more traditional cultural sense would focus on work ethic alone. But for us, the virtue of going from sloth to diligence is a wisdom that is committing ourselves beyond comfort. And the end game of this is to love God and love neighbor. The way Joshua commanded the people, choose who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Sloth will always lead us to the bare minimum. But one layer deeper in our soul, the Holy Spirit will always be whispering, there is more to life than this. There is more to life than this. You can have a great work ethic and still be slothful in loving God and loving neighbor. You can work really hard at a lot of things and be lazy in your faith, in your relationships. Consider what it would look like if you worked incredibly hard and neglected important relationships in your family. The person who's always away, always working hard, but maybe never at their marriage or their parenting, or if you're not married, your, your own friendships and relationships in your life. The opposite of sloth is not busyness. It's not filling our lives with activity, filling up our schedules and working hard and making every spare moment productive is not actually the end game of sloth to diligence that Christian teaching would lead us to. The opposite of sloth is not being busy, it is being diligent. It is an active choosing versus a passive acceptance. Joshua knew full well that the people of Israel, crossing into the promised land, beginning this new chapter in their history, Joshua knew full well that they could be plenty busy living in the land. They could be busy establishing cities, planting crops, and they could be busy religiously if they were to worship the gods of the Amorites. They could be plenty busy blending in with the people around them, and they could even work hard at doing that. But everyone from Aquinas to Billy Graham has said that's still sloth if, if our virtues are rooted in Jesus. Because if you weren't dedicated to Jesus in any way, shape, or form, it doesn't mean you wouldn't be busy but all of your energy and effort would go somewhere. Your time and resources, well, where is it going? 
One of the best ways to understand where sloth creeps in is to ask, where does our effort go? Where did the effort of the people go when when Moses was up on the mountain? Their effort and energy went into creating a golden calf that they could worship in idolatry. Our effort goes somewhere. And sloth would make us think that we don't have any control over where that effort goes. Students at every level of education will complain that they have too much homework and not enough time. I would also note that students at every level of education are usually up to date on their favorite TV shows. Sloth would make us think that we don't have enough time to do the things that matter. Diligence is the countermeasure and the reminder that what we're busy with is a matter of priority. It is a matter of standing with Joshua and committing and saying, we will serve the Lord and we will not do so passively, we will do so diligently. Joshua asks the people if they just want to serve. He gives them a choice. Do they want to just serve the gods of their ancestors, the gods of the Amorites? Perhaps maybe for us today in in our modern world, which is full of opportunities, full of ease, full of information that's readily accessible. Maybe the God of our ancestors or the God of the Amorites for us today is the God of comfort, the God of what is familiar, the God of what we already know, the God of thinking that this world is too big for us to make a difference in, so why worry about it? These are all idols, of course, not God. But what's comfort? What's, what is familiar? What we already know? Sloth lives in these places. And we worship these gods of the Amorites, if you will, when we abandon diligence or shirk our commitments, instead following maybe the easier way out. Sloth wins the day in those moments. As an unpaddled boat will always go downstream. So it is that a Christian without diligence will always drift from faithfulness. The unpaddled boat will always go downstream. And if you were to imagine your own faith and life of of a, a, a kayak in the stream, what's happening with it? Do you know where you're going? Are you paddling? Or are you just hoping the current will move you along nicely without worrying too much about where that current is taking you. As said, the biggest obstacle to changing any vice or sin into a virtue or pursuing righteousness, the biggest obstacle will always begin with sloth. It will hold us back from changing a relationship. Sloth will convince us that it's not our turn to apologize. Sloth will hold us back from instead of knowing what is right versus doing what is right. Even when we know what's needed, sloth will make us remember that it's not our job or it's not our problem. Perhaps sloth will also remind us that, well, I might not do it right. I might not do it well. We can think of these things in work ethic, but to push into our own spiritual health 
we can convince ourselves so easily that something isn't worth the time because we're not getting the results we want. Similarly, a perfectionist is simply a, or a procrastinator is a perfectionist who's afraid to make mistakes. What if we mess up along the way and we find that it was easier to not try at all? Maybe at New Year's Eve, we started out with great resolutions of how we were going to change our Bible reading and prayer habits this year. And I mean, about halfway through January, we might have ended up right back where we started. And this is where fear of messing up will hold us back, where doubt in ourselves will make us slothful. We're we're being timid because we're not sure if we know the way forward, just as the people with Joshua, they couldn't have known what all was going to happen in the next year of their lives, and it would make them timid. But the reason that Joshua is held up as, as an example of diligence is because it's not just this moment that he's calling the people. It's also when the spies were sent in to see the promised land. Joshua and Caleb came back and said, here's the promised land and it's beautiful and it's right in front of us. And all the other spies said, it's going to be too hard and too dangerous. I think we should go home. We should go back to Egypt. Joshua is the example of diligence. And diligence rests not just in our own effort, though we do need to put something forward. Diligence rests in God's promises. That God said, this is the promised land. God sent the spies in to check it out, to see what it was like. And Joshua and Caleb, in diligence, knew that if God has promised this, then it will happen. And we will be diligent to what God has promised. There's no timidity, there's no fear, there's no hesitation in Joshua's words or his invitation. And similarly, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and reminds him of this that I offer to you and especially to all of the elders and deacons who will be installed today and for all who serve. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us... Does, The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The virtues to which we are called are given to us by God's Holy Spirit when we rest in God's promises, and the pursuit will be those of power, love, and self-discipline, because that is the Spirit that we were given. Power to remind ourselves We're not powerless. Love, to remind us that our end game is to be active in our pursuit of loving God and loving neighbor. And neglecting our neighbor is just as much a sin as directly harming them. And we are given a spirit of self-discipline, resting in God's promises to apply and pursue that which is good even when there's other options that are easier. Joshua and Caleb didn't say we're too scared. They said the land is good and God has promised. 
It's not an active committing of a sinful act, but often a passive neglect of the good that holds us back, and that's what holds the church back. As used from the confession, James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I find that very challenging, and, and that doesn't mean that we need to kill ourselves with busyness and exhaustion, but it does mean that we need to pay very close attention to what is the good that we are called to and to make sure that we don't neglect it. That when you feel that nudge of the Holy Spirit to, to do something, to, to sign a card for Nick Stott, to send a note to someone, to call someone, that these things matter. And neglecting them is just as much of a problem that holds us back as it would be to steal or to lie. As said, this topic has been written on by many great theologians, um, both in the medieval times and today. And I happen to have a copy of my, my grandmother, DeVries's, um book, The Seven Deadly Sins by Billy Graham. Graham writes this, The encouraging word we might have spoken to a discouraged friend, the helpful deed that would have made someone's burden a little bit lighter, the bit of money pressed lovingly into the hand of the needy, these are the neglected things that bring remorse and rob others of the help they need. When through slothfulness we fail to do that loving deed that Jesus' words of judgment will then ring in our ears, in so much as you did not do unto the least of these, you did not do unto me. The other sins will make us focus maybe on, on what we do that is wrong. But we start with sloth to make sure that we don't neglect what is right and to make sure that we do it. Keep on keeping on. Sometimes maybe the step that we're going to take doesn't seem like enough, so we think, why not do it? Why do it at all? Many of us might have grown up with uh, math books that had the answers in the back of the book or at least all the odd-numbered answers were in the back of the book, it is the greatest invitation to sloth that was ever introduced to academia. Because you know that all of your homework is, I mean, all the answers are right in the back of the book. You don't even have to work hard. You can just copy and paste them. And yet when test day comes, you won't have put in the diligence to learn what you need to learn. And so you won't be ready. What if the same is true spiritually, that when slothful, when, when the moments come that actually test us, we're not ready because we haven't prepared, because sloth made it easier to just copy the answers that were written in the back of the book. That's the difference between knowing better, knowing the right answer, and doing better, doing the act that we're called to. And diligence is a great teacher. It will find our weak spots, and there's no shame in those, but diligence as a teacher will find the areas that we hold ourselves back, and it will poke at them just a little bit. Some of the most discouraging things we can face is the reality that maybe we're not okay, that, that, that maybe there is something wrong, and that, that we have some clarity about what it is. And the problem then is that we have a hope that things will change all on their own. 
with the crushing reality of knowing that they won't change on their own. So friends, as we think about sloth and diligence, don't just try to make yourself busier. Make yourself diligent in the things that matter. Love God. Love neighbor. And when it might be say, easy to say, well, I'm just not being challenged to do that, the question would be, what are you doing about that? Are you seeking challenge? Do you want to take responsibility for your own growth or hope that you'll magically grow on your own or that someone else will grow for you? Sloth is where our best intentions are followed up with zero action. And it challenges the lie that we don't have much control. Friends, just as we can keep up on our favorite TV shows but maybe neglect homework, I would remind us today that if it matters to you, you'll do it. And if it's a priority, you'll find time. And this is what is direct in Joshua's words. If worshiping the Lord matters to you, you will do it with diligence. If it's a priority, you'll find the time. Sloth will try to sabotage our priorities or make us passive about them. But if your priority is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, then I ask, what will you do about that this week? What's one action step? And the first thing that I think the devil will whisper into your ear when you come up with one action step to be diligent in loving God and loving neighbor is, well, that's not enough. But let the one action step be what it needs to be. Because sloth is killed by inertia of one good thing done starts to unravel the sloth. Wherever you feel like you might get stuck, pay attention to where that is. But even so, find even the smallest action step of diligence and you will kill the roots of sloth in your life that will hold you back and that holds the church back in doing the good that we are called to. Friends, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may we abandon sloth and pursue diligence. Amen. Let's pray.